Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. Yes, that's right, the flat line, F-L-O-T, the forward line of troops, military analogy for a main line of resistance that you can build in your soul based on the 10 unique problem-solving devices found in the Word of God. As we say so often, adversity is, of course, inevitable, but stress is optional because adversity is what circumstances do to you and stress is what you do to yourself. So in spite of the adversity you may be having, it could be an opportunity to do something. You, adversity often gives opportunity. Opportunity to express faith, opportunity to use God's problem-solving devices. And that's what this show is about, giving you that information so that you can make good, valid decisions. Because bad decisions limit future options. And God gave you a brain, God gave you a hiney. You can sit with one and think on the other one. And success in your life is going to depend on which one of those you use. And God wants you to use your brain. He said in the Bible, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. That's using your brain, learning to think like the Lord Jesus Christ thought. The Bible says in Romans 12, 3, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, changing the way you think. The key to living a successful Christian life is accumulating the mind of Christ called wisdom in the Bible and letting that wisdom circulate in your soul so that when you come into a situation where you need answers, you don't have to run to somebody for help. You can pull it out of your own soul. God the Holy Spirit will help you recall it if you've learned it, and then you can apply it into your life. That's why we use that little saying, lag, L-A-G, Learn it, apply it, and you'll glorify God. Learn, apply, and glorify God. Today on the Flot Line, we want to talk about righteousness and sin. Righteousness and sin. Two words, key words found in the Bible. We know that part of God's essence is righteousness. God is sovereignty, he's righteousness, and he's justice. So those are three of the character assets of God. Sovereignty, righteousness, justice, Love, immutability, omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, such as this is God's character. Now remember what the righteousness of God rejects, then the justice of God will judge. Because you cannot come to God in your own righteousness, and we'll see that in this study. But one of the verses I want to center in on, and this could deal with the future of this nation the United States of America in 2021, Proverbs 14:34. Righteousness exalts a nation. There it is. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a disgrace to any people. Sin is a disgrace to any people. So let me read it again. Proverbs 14:34. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a disgrace to any people. In this one verse penned by King Solomon many years ago, we have a complete prescription for the success or failure of a nation, such as the client nation USA. And we need to focus on two words found in this verse, righteousness and sin. Righteousness and sin. So uh, in the New Testament, the word righteousness is dikaiosune. 
the kaiosune, the Greek word for righteousness. In the Old Testament, it's sadaka, sadaka. And that's a noun, a descriptive noun, meaning someone that's blameless or someone that's innocent, someone that's doing what is right. And in this case, in Proverbs 14:34, it's in accordance with God's essence, which includes that righteousness. Now remember, God is also justice, and that's, we call that the Supreme Court of Heaven. And the Supreme Court of Heaven is open 24 hours a day. Whatever man sows, that he's going to reap. Nobody's going to get away with anything. Keep that in mind in this political season. If you're frustrated or angry, God is still in control. He hasn't abandoned his throne. He knows what's going on. And you'd have to let the justice of God deal with things you like or don't like. But this word righteousness, is we have to understand that word. The only way that you and I can approach God is with imputed righteousness. Not earned righteousness, imputed righteousness. This righteousness is the righteousness given to us the moment we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. That is the single most significant moment in your entire life. Without that moment, without that opportunity, without that decision, you will never, ever be able to be in the presence of God in eternity future. And you, like millions of others, will find yourself tormented in the lake of fire because you rejected God's love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believed in him would not have to perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. Get that in your brain. Think about that. If you reject Christ as your Savior, you're rejecting the love of God. And the justice of God will deal with you if the righteousness of God cannot accept you. Now, I'm telling you, we are given this righteousness of God through Christ when we believe in him. Where would I come up with something like that? In the Bible, of course. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, that's God, made him, that's Christ, he made him who knew no sin, the blameless Son of God, Lamb of God without sin, he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God through him, in him. Now, think about this. All of my sins were poured out on Christ on the cross. Every sin I ever did in the past, every sin I'll ever do in the future, what the justice of God would have to judge me for, it judged Christ in my place. My sins are not an issue. The issue is what think ye of Christ. That's the issue. And without having Christ as Savior, you have no righteousness standing with God. You can try to manufacture your own righteousness, and I'll show you how that won't work here in just a second. So on the cross, Christ was imputed our sins. He paid for our sins, a judicial imputation. He was judged in our place. But then when we accept Christ as Savior, it's a real imputation. We are given his righteousness. It's given to us. And so we become a member of the royal family of God. And God sees us in equal standing because we have the righteousness of Christ. Again, he made him who knew no sin become sin on our behalf so we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, it's impossible for us to manufacture our own righteousness. There's no way we can do it. We're just not capable of doing that. 
So Isaiah 64, 6 tells us this. It says, we are all like an unclean thing, and all of our unrighteousness, excuse me, all of our righteousnesses, I'll back it up and say it one more time. Isaiah 64, 6. We are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. I cannot give you the literal Hebrew translation of filthy rags. It would embarrass you. But uh, the best thing I can do is tell you it's just some greasy rag laying around in a mechanic shop with oil and dirt and grime all over it. That's the best you can do. God does not accept that. Our righteousnesses are like a filthy rag before a supreme, holy, righteous, just God. And then it goes on to say in that verse, we all fade as a leaf, and our iniquity like the wind have taken us away. The only way we can receive God's righteousness is by faith. That's the only way. And no one can do it any other way. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man would brag about it. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It's a gift of God. God's righteousness is a gift through Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith is the door. Even the Bible clearly says in Romans 4, 3, For Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That was his faith. Abraham had faith in what God told him to do. do you, are you aware of what God told him to do in Genesis 12, 1 through 4? The Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country, leave your family, leave your father's house, go to a land I will show you. This is Father Abraham, the father of the Jewish race. God said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you and curse anyone who curses you. Well, there's a promise you can count on. God said he would bless those that bless the Jewish race and curse those that curse the Jewish race. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. That's his, his, uh, his nephew. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from the land of Haran. Abraham's righteous standing with God was his faith. And his faith was indeed tested in Genesis 22, where he was asked to sacrifice his own son on an altar. Now, God would have never had him kill his son, but he, he put him to that test, and Abraham was more than willing to obey when God said to do it, but the angel of the Lord said, don't do it. Don't lay a hand on the lad, or don't do anything to him, because this is proving to me that you fear God since you didn't withhold your son, your only son, from me. And then the Lord provided a substitute, which is a ram. In Genesis twenty-two thirteen, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ being sacrificed on our behalf. Here it is. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by the horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered that ram as a burnt offering instead of his own son. The ram is the lamb of God who was offered on our behalf. And that's how we become righteous, through the righteousness of Christ on our behalf. God's substitute for me. 
God's substitute for you was the death of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, on that cross. And by this act, his righteous character, the character of God, was satisfied. And sin was paid for once and for all. There's no way we could have ever satisfied the righteousness of God. The justice of God would have been forced to judge us forever in eternity in the lake of fire were it not for the gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He paid the penalty for our sin. And because of the death of Christ on the cross, God's righteousness was satisfied and his justice was alleviated from us because his justice judged his own son. Not you, not me, it judged Christ for me and for you once and for all. Abraham's faith was tested many times and your faith will be tested as well because the Bible says, for by grace you are saved through faith. Saved through faith. That's the only way you can have eternal life, is faith alone, in Christ alone. Don't for one minute think you can save yourself, because the first step to becoming righteous in God's eyes is faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, once you become a Christian, I remember this vividly in my own life, I became a Christian at the age of 22 years old. I had gone on a date with a young lady who took me to church, a place I never normally went, never. And after church, we went to a home Bible study, a place I would have never, ever gone, ever. But it was there that the grace of God reached out to me through the speaker. A fellow from South Africa was visiting and brought a message about how to receive Christ as your Savior. And as a 22-year-old fellow, I accepted that message. I believed in Jesus Christ that night. I prayed and asked God to save me that night. And I didn't really feel weird things happen, you know, no harps, no flutes, no flashing lights, no angels. But it worked when I went home that night. That was the first night in a few years that I had had peace with God because I knew I had never disliked God. I was never mad at God. I just never paid attention to God. But I knew that night that God loved me. Now, the first step to becoming righteous in God's eyes is that faith. And then, after I became a Christian, I had a whole lot to learn. I had a whole lot of information that I had to accumulate. I was given a Bible by a football coach, and he suggested that I read the book of John, and I began to read in the book of John and how so many people believed in Christ. Every time he did a miracle, it says, and they believed, and they believed, and they believed. The demonstration of his eternal essence was by the miracles he performed. They couldn't deny that. And so as I took the Bible and as I began to learn it and apply it and try to glorify God in my life, opportunities began to open up for me to talk about what had happened to me. And I began to develop this, this righteousness, this righteousness that I have as a Christian. See, I had the capacity to do that by receiving God the Holy Spirit. When I got saved and when you got saved, God the Holy Spirit indwelled us. At the moment of salvation, he came to live inside of us. Ephesians 1.13 says we are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. This gives us tremendous capacity because Christ said when he comes, he will lead you into all truth. He will be your, your private tutor, your private mentor. 
And so with that capacity, with the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote, we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5.18. And this means one thing. As a believer, you have a choice every day. You can operate under the energy of your flesh, which is your sin nature, or you can operate under the power of God, the Holy Spirit. One way of operating is called carnality. The other way of operating is called spirituality. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you are spiritual. That doesn't mean you're a mature believer. It means you're in fellowship with God. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you're carnal. And that doesn't mean you're lost. It means you're out of fellowship with God. Fellowship with God is broken when you sin. And when you rebound, problem-solving device number one, when you go to God and admit that sin, as per 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all wrongdoing. When you use 1 John 1, 9, you move from that carnality back to spirituality. And that's the secret to growing as a Christian, walking in the grace and learning and applying God's word, learning and applying God's word. And so we have the capacity to manufacture righteousness under the filling of the Holy Spirit, under the leadership of God's Holy Spirit by developing the wisdom of Christ, assuming the mind of Christ, coming to the place in our life where we don't think in terms of human viewpoint anymore. We think in terms of divine viewpoint. We're not trapped in the cosmic system way of thinking anymore. We're living in a different dinosphere, the divine dinosphere in God's system. So we think different. We see things when we get wisdom. This is amazing. This is why your friends don't see what you see. Because when you have wisdom, it gives you insight and discernment. Biblical wisdom gives you insight and discernment. And you can see through the fog. You can see through the smoke screen. If there's anything Satan's good at, it's throwing up a smoke screen. Many people can't see through it. But you can with wisdom from the Word of God and under the filling of the Holy Spirit. And you begin to manufacture righteousness as a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, as a divinely appointed spiritual influencer. This is why you're here. This is why God left you here. So you could replicate the life of Christ and represent him to your friends. So... This righteousness that you have the capacity to manufacture is rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ, and it's a wonderful thing. But you have to learn God's word. That's where the pastor comes in. You sit under a well-qualified pastor. You take God's word, and you learn it, and you use it, and you apply it. And this is where I get most of my letters from. Where is there a good pastor in my city? Where is there a good pastor that I can learn under? I get information, I mean letters like this all the time from people wanting to find a well-qualified pastor. Sometimes they're frustrated because of the gimmicks and the games and what all that goes on in their local congregation. I will tell you this, a well-qualified pastor must have the gift of pastor-teacher. And secondly, he must be prepared. He can't get up in the pulpit and fake it. He's got to be prepared, which means he must know some languages, some Greek and Hebrew languages. He must be a serious student of the Word of God. I can assure you for every hour that I teach is usually several hours of preparation. But this is what a well-qualified pastor lives for. 
He lives to devour and study and feed on the Word of God so he can feed you the Word of God. This is what you must find. You must sit under that sort of man if you're ever intending to grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and produce the righteousness that God is looking for. Righteousness delivers a nation. Is that what the verse said? Righteousness exalts a nation. We must have in this country, if we are to survive, righteous people. We must have righteous people. This means they must have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and have the imputed righteousness of Christ. And under the filling of the Holy Spirit, under the well-qualified ministry of a pastor, manufacturing righteousness that is rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. This makes them a member of the pivot, that small group of mature believers that God delivers to deliver a nation, God uses to deliver a nation. This righteousness that I'm talking about is the stability of a nation. It's the basis of mature believers that deliver a nation in a time of crisis. And we must have it in America if we're going to survive. Because righteousness exalts a nation. Are you righteous today? Are you? That's the question. Are you righteous? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you learning God's word on a consistent basis? Are you replicating the life of Christ by thinking like he thinks and representing him to your friends as a divinely appointed spiritual influencer? If not, you're not fulfilling that verse. Now, there's something called relative righteousness, and that doesn't work. That's the worst kind there is, self-righteousness. It's you trying to impress God with your good works. And the relative righteousness is not going to work. People are not indicted for their sins at the great white throne. They're indicted because they rejected Christ as Savior. Their sins were paid for. Every sin they ever did was paid for on the cross. And unbelievers go to the lake of fire because of this self-righteousness, not because of sin, because they depended on their own righteousness. And the worst kind of all is religious self-righteousness. That's the worst there is. In Luke 18, 10, Jesus Christ our Lord gave a parable about two men going to the temple to pray. He said one was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. And he talked about how the Pharisee stood and prayed with himself thanking God that he's not like other people, that he doesn't commit extortion or that he's not unjust, he doesn't commit adultery, et cetera, et cetera, that he fasts, that he tithes. And the tax collector, the Lord Jesus Christ said, stood afar off and beat upon his breast and simply said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Lord said, I tell you, this is the man that went to heaven. This is the man that went down to his house justified rather than the other one, because anyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Self-righteous religious people, that's not salvation. That's exactly what this means. You don't go to heaven because you tithe. You don't go to heaven because you don't drink or commit adultery. You don't smoke. You go to heaven because you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the second word we want to look at in this passage that we saw, Proverbs 14.34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to that nation. Sin is the second word we want to examine. Sin. And in the Hebrew, this word is a national condition or a national attitude of disregard for the laws and the policy of God. 
That's what you have to remember. Now, when we talk about sin, sin always comes in three areas. Something you think, something you say, and something you do. When we have a nation full of mental attitude sin, what we have here is inordinate competition. We have group A hating group B, and group B hating group A. And so these people are competing with one another, and it's inordinate, it's wrong. This is a terrible sin. Jealousy, bitterness, vindictiveness, implacability. These are mental attitude sins that Christians can get into, especially in the political arena, if you get trapped in that and get mental attitude sins towards some political opponent you don't like. You gotta remember in Romans 13, God said he's the one that puts people in charge, not you. He's well aware of what's going on. There are several things that haven't changed. The character of God hasn't changed. The justice of God hasn't changed. This nation is still under the leadership of God. And right now we're depending on you to be a member of that pivot, to manufacture that righteousness that will glorify Jesus Christ to the maximum. But sin, mental attitude sins, big problem. You wanna know a bigger problem? The sin of rejecting what the Bible tells you to do. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're not growing, if you're not learning, you're sinning. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, right at dividing the word of truth. Are you studying under a well-qualified pastor? Are you growing spiritually in your life every day? Are you replicating the life of Christ and representing him to your friends? This is what's critical. The sin of a nation is not necessarily the degeneracy and the apostasy in that nation, although there's a lot of it. It's the believers who reject God's plan and go merrily down the my way highway thinking that everything's okay. Look at yourself in the mirror. Are you representing Christ? Are you replicating his life? Are you growing in the grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior? That's the sin I'm talking about because without that, then the Holy Spirit doesn't have anything to work with. He's depending on you to be a member of that pivot. He's depending on you to be the individual that replicates Christ and represents Christ. That's what he's depending on. And that'll never happen in your life as long as you're lazy about your spiritual growth. You must not be sucked into that sort of lifestyle. You must not allow yourself to be satisfied with a 10 minute devotion in the morning and off down your merry way. You must find a pastor, study under that pastor, grow under that pastor, and represent Christ to your community, your neighborhood, your family, through your life. I hope you're listening, I hope you're paying attention, because sin will destroy our nation. Until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, and I thank you for listening to The Flotline. Thank you for listening to The Flotline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.